You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's read the passage, and I'm going to start in, in Luke 20, 45, and then just keep rolling. It kind of flows together. It's kind of a transition between chapters. It says right here that while the people were listening, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who love greetings in the marketplaces and best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for the show. These will receive harsher judgment. Chapter 21. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all these have put in their gifts out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, Will, what's the title of our message that you have right there on your paper? Uh, giving from the heart. Giving from the heart. And our big question that we want to wrestle with today is right underneath of it. It's what is the most important thing when giving? So this is part two of our series on the theology of giving. And uh, what's the point? Why are we talking about this? We want to wrestle with what is God looking for? What is most important to God in our giving? What does the Bible say? What's on God's heart? And we're going to go through, try to go through four points. Number one is the giving widow. Famous passage about the widow who gave two small copper coins. The giving widow, number one. Our call to give, number two. Uh, Failing to give, number three. And number four, giving from the heart. Last week, Pastor Joe uh, opened up with this introduction talking about possible reasons that we might have for doing a giving series. You remember that? What are the reasons, I asked rhetorically, I'm not going to pick on you at the moment, but uh, what are some reasons you might use uh, for preaching a, a series on giving? And, and Joe mentioned this, uh, we want to see giving increase. Okay, okay, maybe. Uh, number two is help people understand what the Bible says about giving. Just information, what does the Bible say about giving? And number three, biblical instruction on stewardship and how you can manage your own money. Um, Those are some good things. Um, But Joe said this is not the main goal. These are more byproducts. What is the main goal? And this is the main goal, to see transformation in our head, heart, and hands in regards to giving. Our thinking, our head leads to our heart, our motivation, that leads to our action. This church is all about transformation of lives. We don't want just information, and we don't want action based upon pride or despair, uh, doing things out of guilt or doing things we can earn God's favor. We want action that's based upon a true theology that convicts our heart, that makes us give out of gratitude because it's fun. It's from our heart. We want to. Love finds a way. 
That works in your marriage, that works in your friendships, that works in a community, that works in a school, that works in your family, that works with parenting. Love always finds a way. You say, there's a mountain I can't climb it. Love finds a way. Jesus is always concerned about, do you love me from your heart? What is most important when giving? Joe went on to say that giving is a worship issue. Patrick reminds us every Sunday that uh, worship is not just music. That worship is all of life. We're worshiping now. Could be. God's looking at our hearts. Are we worshiping? I know sometimes when I'm listening to a sermon, I'm fighting sleep. I'm like, I'm hungry. I'm always thinking about that. Uh, Our minds could be all over the place, but God looks upon the heart and he wants to know the state of your heart when it comes to worship. Worship in our business, worship in the classroom, worship on a motorcycle, worship in all aspects of life. I want your heart. Proverbs, wise man Solomon says, my son, give me your heart. Parents, when it comes down to it, it really doesn't matter if your kids go to college or not, does it? if you get their heart. It really doesn't matter if they fail and succeed according to the world's standards, if they have our heart. And sometimes our kids go there, here and there and go astray or maybe they're right around us and we just say, Lord, I want one thing. I want, I want their heart. Well, God's a perfect father and that's what he wants from us. It's really the core of giving. To see transformation in our head, heart, and hands in regards to giving. And then Joe gave this really great definition, I think, of worship. Worship is how I think daily about what I want. What's in your thought life? What do you want? What do you really want? Everybody wants something. When it gets right down to it, what does the Christian really want? What does the Spirit of God within you truly want? And how do those wants and desires affect your actions? All of life is worship. And true worship is from the heart. Giving from the heart, Luke 21, 1 through 4, what is most important when giving? We're going to look at the giving widow and, uh, and then go through four steps. Every, here's a, here's a, a little thing that I picked up several years ago on how to understand the Bible. You ever read the Bible and got confused? <laughs> yeah. You're like, what in the world does uh, this Old Testament law have to do with my Tuesday? You know? Um, the Bible takes study. The Bible says that the, the noble Bereans studied daily to see whether these things are so. Um, God filters out our hearts, even in the study of his word. He just doesn't feed it to it like it's baby food. Because those that want it will find a way. And the only thing that will keep us reading God's word is love. And it's say, I want it. I need it. I need him. I'm willing to figure out how to study this book if I can get a taste of him. And there's four steps that I use uh, to help me with crazy Old Testament uh, laws or really difficult in your face New Testament commands or outlandish metaphors in Revelation or Daniel. Something about a beast with four heads and cows and bulls in the face of a man and an eagle. What is going on? How do we understand God's word? First thing that I go to when trying to understand, I got this from Tim Keller and some others, but follow the gospel story. 
First is, uh, what is God saying? What is God's heart? Second is, what is he calling us to do in response to that? And admit your fa- you've, where you've failed. Next is how Jesus has completed it all for you. And finally, that is the only way that you can really obey him from the heart. And so these four steps do the same thing. The first is God expresses his true loving nature through this example of the widow. Number two shows that, and we are called to follow in her footsteps. And number three says, but we fail to give. And number four ends with the heart, how Jesus Christ and what he did and who he is captures the heart of God for us and then captures our heart so that we can serve out of love and not out of guilt, not out of duty, not out of pride. So let's get going. Let's look at it here. Number one, the giving widow. First is giving to the Lord. When we read this earlier, um, I started over in chapter 20, first of all, because Jesus is confronting the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are the religious leaders, and the religious leaders had corrupted the worship of God in God's house. And they were coming at Jesus with all sorts of questions, and Jesus is just nailing them. They ask him a question, and I'm like, I re- you read this, and you go, how in the world is Jesus going to answer this question? And this is his answer he gives in verse 20. You ask me a question? Here's my answer. Let me ask you a question. And so he asked them this question. And he said, Lord, uh, should we pay taxes? What about paying taxes? We're here under Roman rule. We're the special Jewish people. What are we supposed to do with this political problem? And Jesus answers the political problem easily. He said, show me a coin. Now, whose face do you see on the coin? He said, give to the government the things that are the government and give to the Lord the things that are the Lord. And they just go over there, curses, curses this guy. We can't, get, we can't nail this guy down. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, beware of the sins of these religious leaders because they devour widows' houses. Any of us that aspire to be part of God's house, any of us that aspire to serve in God's house or lead in God's house, beware that your actions aren't actions that say, you know what, I kind of like this position. I kind of like being in charge. I kind of like leading things. I kind of like telling people what I think they should do according to the Bible. I kind of like it. And the end is, you are mishandling the very weak and vulnerable, tender-hearted sheep of God, how dare you? That's, that's, that's the, the situation that, that leaders and people in God's house, this is God's, this is Jesus' bride. Beware how you take or, or act around someone else's bride. You want to get a husband angry? Mistreat his bride. And they're mistreating Jesus' bride. Mistreating God's woman. And then he turns the corner and says, speaking of widows, chapter 21. He looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And he saw also a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. And the first point right here that I want to make three points from the giving widow is first giving to the Lord. So we're talking about uh, giving to God's house. 
You ever wonder if you've made like a big donation, what are they going to do with my money? They're going to use it right? They're going to waste it? When we drop our checks and our, our cash into the box, who are we giving it to? We're giving it to God. The church leaders have to answer to God to what they do with that stuff in the box. But when you drop it in the box, that's to God. You drop it in and say, this is to the Lord. What do you think that widow and those other people were thinking when they put things into the treasury at that day of corruption in God's house? They said, well, I'm not going to give to God's house right now. Look at these screwed up leaders. Look what they're doing to the widows. And what was her heart? She gave anyway. That's their problem. I'm called to give. I think it's kind of weird, too. Do you ever think that uh, maybe, you know, here we have donation boxes. Um, some churches, you pass the plate. Sometimes they have these kind of funky felt bags. I just wonder, what, what's all in there? Like, like ooh, <laughs> what's the secret? Uh, they pass these things around. Uh, there are different ways of giving. We can do it online now. Um, is that an American invention? Sometimes we like to trash on the American church and what we've done with, uh, with modern America to, to God's church. No. Uh, God's houses always need, needed money. And there was a system back in the Old Testament that uh, they put it into the treasury. They had some sort of donation box. And uh, so that's, that's a thing of the Lord. Giving money is part of serving the Lord. You, you listen to the epistles where... Um, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm taking up a collection so that we can give it to the people over here at Jerusalem. And he's praising the Philippians for the money that they gave to, to him in his ministry. Money is part of serving God. The Bible's very clear about that, Old Testament, New Testament. It's not an invention of some greedy preachers, even though greedy preachers exist and take advantage of, of God's people. They really do. But God said money is part of making, making the church work in a practical way. You're giving to, not giving to Joe, not giving to me, not even giving to the light bill, giving it to God in the story. Next thing right here is, is uh, giving to the Lord and before the Lord. So here they are going and giving, and it says the Lord saw her. He saw the rich giving, and he saw the widow giving. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? If uh, like Morgan is standing over the box and every time you drop something in, you're like, oh, let's see what you just did there. <laughs> I should pull out a simple principle from this right here. Um, when you give, people see it. Most importantly, God sees it. He sees. He's watching our hearts. He says, I know the very motives right down to the very marrow of your bones. I know what you're thinking. I know your struggles. And when you give, I see it. You give to the Lord, and you give before the Lord. Next, giving it all. Giving it all. It says that she put in two small coins. And truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she has given out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. I don't know if there's any widows in the room right here, but uh, being a widow 
is not fun in America today. Much less being a widow back in the time of Jesus Christ. At the time of Jesus Christ, it, it was a drag to be a woman. At the time of Jesus Christ, women were not trustworthy enough to be a witness in court. They didn't treat women with the respect that the New Testament has brought to the world in respecting all people as creations of God. She's weak. Widow's vulnerable. God uses single, divorced, married, all combinations. But there's a specific difficulty when a woman has to care for the home and the children, but also has to provide a living. That's hard. That's a hard life. And so here's a woman that's weak, and she's vulnerable. And in that society, she was invisible. She didn't even count in, in a court of law. And she would think, Lord, how am I going to make it? I, I can't control my budget. I can't uh, make it from day to day. And it says that she gave it all. Next final point, number one, is giving in poverty. See, there were those that were wealthy, and they had a surplus, and they could probably give a certain percentage, and it really wouldn't affect uh, maybe even their toys. Probably wouldn't affect their grocery bill, wouldn't affect their, their essentials, but may not even have affecting, uh, made it hurt at all. And Jesus saw. She gave it all. Number two, our call to give. So whenever we read the Bible, we say, what is it saying to them? What is God's high calling to them? And then what's God's high calling to us? Well, he didn't just give this illustration for no reason. He gave that for us today. He says, our call to give. We may wonder how money is used. And so I gave that illustration. And here's an illustration I want to use that I probably shouldn't. I wrestle with it for just a little bit, and I say, well, who cares? I'm going to use it anyway. So uh, in another state, on a certain type of college campus, is a statue. It's a statue of giant hands. And we know in Christian circles that when you lift your hands, you're worshiping God. And so here on this campus, uh, in another state, far, far away, that <laughs> if you go walking down the campus uh, around to your classes, uh, there's these giant hands. I mean, 20 feet high, maybe 30, giant hands. And it's saying, here, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Here, we lift our hands in worship. And the joke is this. They have such a reputation of, of taking money. Every time that they have a, uh, any kind of communication, it says, will you please give us money, give us money, give us money, give us money. They said, do you want to know? Now, these hands were about, at the top, about a foot apart. Did you want to know how to get those hands to, to touch each other? Just take a ladder and crawl up there and, and drop a dollar bill in between them. See, that's why I don't like telling jokes. <laughs> I, I'm better at one-liners. Because if it fails, <laughs> it's not much investment. <laughs> so what's a horrible reputation that evangelical, some of us have as evangelical Christians is uh, you can even make a, a, uh, a... I'm trying to make it funny again. Here we go. All right, so... <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to say. Oh, man. All right, so I shouldn't have used the illustration, but... Uh, Point is this, evangelicals, Christians, we've got to own up to the fact that we have a bad reputation when it comes to money. And a lot of people don't trust us. We've got to own up with that fact. And a lot of times when people put money into the box, they're having to say, 
Well, let me go sideways right here. Should we just give to any organization? No. No? Should we give to any, any group that, that calls themselves Christian? No. no. Um, should we make sure that they're using finance as well? Absolutely. But there's the other extreme where we give and say, I hope he sure does with this what I want it to be done. And it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. When you drop it in, you're saying, I'm going to trust my church. I'm going to trust this ministry. Lord, you do with this as you will. It's an act of faith, even though the reality is the American church uh, has a bad reputation. All right. Bad illustration. Bad joke. All right. Next, uh, God and others see getting money in the mail. You know, does God know where you are financially? Does he see your struggles as we're starting to talk? I mean, I feel it. I feel the struggles. I'm not. I think it's hard to listen to a sermon about, about money. I've tried preaching one. But when we obey God's command on how we use money, it's amazing what happens. Let me give you an example of a man I really respect, my dad, crazy man of faith, uh, labored for almost 30 years over at Cozad, Nebraska, at a little uh, small town church, and then went off to the Philippines and Mexico as an independent missionary, uh, raising his own support as he went. Uh, I don't think you have to do that, but ne dad never asked for money. He just prayed, and, it sh and the money showed up. And I remember as a kid, Dad being one of the most generous people I could imagine. Uh, some random person would come through town. They're always hitting up the church for donations, right? And I remember this one family was, was coming through, heading to Oregon, and uh, their car broke down. So Dad gave him one of our cars. Just a giving, giving man. And my grandma lived down in Texas, and we loved to go to Texas for Christmas. And one chance a year, we got to go see our grandparents and uh, as it got closer and started looking at our finances, Dad came to the family and gathered us up and says, guess what? We're not going to be able to go see Grandma this, this Christmas. We just don't have enough money. And we're just like, oh, man. I'd rather go see Grandma than get presents. The day before, Dad went to the mailbox. And there's plenty of money for our trip to Texas. So I went and asked the deacon, did you do this? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. He called everybody that he knew in the church or around. Did you guys do this? We never found out who did it. Amazing things can happen when we obey the Lord with our giving and with receiving. And there's a secret economy of faith that starts going on where we, have, we can move out away from saying, this is all about me, where we can be like a widow and we can say, Lord, I give it to you all. She gave all of it. Next point, I think, is how much should we give? Before I go to that point, I didn't say this. Jesus saw the widow. I saw my dad. Parents, how do you teach your kids? You live a life of faith. It's amazing what lessons happen when you're not even trying or thinking about it. It changed my whole view of faith and my dad, just knowing that's what happened in our family. He didn't sit me down and give me a lesson and have homework. I just saw him live it people see how much do we give 
Now, I used to think that the New Testament really doesn't give a percentage, but it does. It says give 100%. It just, it just said it. It's right here. She gave how much? She gave it all. She gave it all. Do I think that that's actually what God is asking us to do? I don't. And it doesn't say every time. How could she literally live if every time she went, she just cashed it all in, and then she went home and was like, oh, supper, forgot. <laughs> At that moment, she gave it all. Uh, you know, tithing means a tenth, but that's an Old Testament word. In the New Testament, God is saying, I want your heart. I want all of your heart. And sometimes God will call you to give it all. He wants all of your heart. And sometimes we can give all of our money. All of it. It's quiet now. Let's get really controversial. Rick Warren. Rick Warren's a controversial guy. I've grown to, to really uh, admire him actually. Uh, he says things that really don't fit into the tribe that I'm in. And, uh, but there's things that's happened in Pastor Rick Warren's life and his testimony that's, that said, I like that dude. Uh, probably he's called America's pastor, pastor of one of the biggest churches in California, has done work with AIDS in Africa and has prayed with presidents of both political parties and recently retired. First of all, he made it this far, Joe, with no scandal. Amazing. Amazing. Um, another thing that happened in his life that captured my heart is uh, he had a son commit suicide. Big preacher, famous preacher, Christian representative. Son kills himself. And uh, he just got in front of the cameras, as he always does, and just says, I'm just a man, this is who I am. And he marched through that painful experience uh, under, the, under the cameras of the media. And, and to this point, I know that you come back to bite you after you're died. We found that out with, with some uh, recent Christian leaders that have passed away, that suddenly all their past comes back. But so far, this is a man that's walked with integrity. He loves Jesus. He loves the Bible. And he's walked by faith his whole life. And this is an example of something that he did when it comes to his giving. He said early in his life, uh, when he was young, his wife and him were just first married, uh, they felt convicted of the Lord to say, every year, let's see if we can give 1% of our income more than the year before. How about that challenge? Maybe start out and you're 22 or 25, and you say, um, we'll give 10% this year when we're 26 with 11, when we're 28, we'll give 12, on and on and on we go until we're 40 and 50, and they did it. And they kept doing it until I got more and more. And that was before he wrote his popular book. He wrote a book that has only been outsold by the Bible. The Purpose Driven Life has only been outsold by the Bible. May have passed the Bible, or at least some versions of it. Suddenly he had millions and millions and millions of dollars. Is the point, if you'll just do this, then God's going to give you a bunch of cash? No, that's not the point. The point is this, that's his heart. And you know what Rick Warren did when he, when he got all those millions of dollars? He said, I've been pastoring for almost 20 years. I'm going to go back and add up all of my salary that the church has paid me, and I'm going to pay them back every penny that they've ever given me, and I'm going to preach at this church for nothing for the rest of my life. And he did it. 
And he says, and I drive the same old pickup that I always did. Who knows? Uh, see, when God goes after the heart, we're looking for something, a line item on our budget sheet. We're wanting a percentage that we can say, okay, I don't think I want to do this, but I have to do it because I'm a Christian. And God says, that's not what I'm talking about. I want your heart. And then you can get creative and then things show up in the mailbox or then you give cars away or then a book pops and you get millions. Who knows what might happen? Some of the most faithful Christians that we know are poor. Jesus was homeless. We don't believe in, in, in this health and wealth and prosperity gospel. This is a not uh, earn this and this is your reward. It's not. We give because we've been given to. Now, there are principles in Scripture that when we use uh, cash a certain way, that it does accrue over time. That's great. That's wonderful. That's biblical. But there's something deeper and bigger going on, and it's the issue of the heart. And finally, in our call to give, it says, she gave out of her poverty. This is probably the most touchy and personal part of the message right here. We've been preaching and talking a lot about money. I know what I'm doing. I'm kind of thinking in my heart, well, let's see. I won't even tell you what I'm thinking in details about my giving. But one of the scenarios I've been caught in is say, you know, when I get everything uh, right and fixed, or maybe when I get that debt paid off or this bill paid, then I'll start giving more to the Lord. I'll wait till I don't have any more poverty and then I'll go ahead and start giving to the Lord. The widow gave in her poverty. There's a weird illustration back in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Famous story when the children of Israel left Egypt and they went across to, um, to the land of promise and we see the heart of our God that says, I have a special people and I want to give them a special land. Called it a land flowing with milk and honey. Better than the Platte Valley. More abundant than any kind of a, a valley in California or some amazing uh, productive land. It was a land where they stepped in and they just walked into free houses. And when they got to the borders, they said, uh, oh, there's giants in the land. You're going to have to fight for it. So we're going to have to fight to get God's uh, special promised land. And uh, sent the spies over and they said they're giants. They brought back all those grapes and they saw the honey and all that kind of stuff. And only Joshua and Caleb says, we're ready to go. We're willing to fight. But the rest says, no, no, we're scared. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're not going to fight. We're not going to obey God. And God says, then you will be punished. You've stepped out of my provision, then step into the wilderness, and you're going to die in the wilderness because you didn't want my best. What did they say? Oh, Lord, we'll fight. We'll fight. We're ready to go. We're sorry. We'll go fight now. We're ready to go fight. the. Yeah, you're with us, Lord. And he says, I know your heart. You're just using me. You don't want me. You want the land. Don't use the Lord. Don't wait until this church leadership is perfect. Don't wait until all your debts are paid. Don't wait until your life is all in order. 
go after God's best. He wants faith. And if we pay off all of our debts and then we have extra money that we can give off on the side, we lost our chance for faith. We lost our chance to see a miracle. I'm preaching to myself right now. We have a good God that wants to give us a great spiritual land. He wants to give you a fellowship with him that's like rivers flowing with milk and honey, sweetness and provision. That's the heart of our God. He wants to give you all. Failing to give. On this idea of our heart, when we fail to give, uh, Karen, this is one of my teacher questions I, I didn't mention in the, in the entry, but uh, I've noticed teaching that uh, we're four weeks in and they've tuned me completely out. <laughs> like right after lunch, I've tried every trick I can think of to communicate when you're done with the quiz, start reading page eight in the reader. So I'll say it twice. When you're done with the quiz, read page eight in the reader. And then I'll write it on the marker board. Read page eight in the reader. And then I'll go, Bobby, what are you supposed to do when you get done with the quiz? And I'll go, and he'll go, read page eight in the reader? Very good. Susie, what are you supposed to do when you're done with the quiz? <laughs> read page eight in the reader. I'll say, class, what are we supposed to do? Say it together. What are you supposed to do after quiz? Read page eight in the reader. And then we uh, take the quiz. Probably 80% of the hands go up. Mr. H, I'm done with the quiz. What are you supposed to do now? But, see, I'm concerned about whether I have their heart. But, it was my birthday uh, on the 13th, and so Karma bought some candy, and uh, so I gave that to him the next day. And, uh, and when I said, who wants a piece of candy, it was like a tsunami of, si of fifth graders coming after me. They heard every syllable. <laughs> and I'm wondering... Are you, are, you, are you listening to the teacher because you have so much respect and you're so fascinated with all the amazing educational treasures I'm about ready to share? It'll change your life? No, they just want my candy. So you know the illustration for us. You want, just want God's candy? I've heard people successful in business uh, humbly say this, and I don't like it at all. So, wow, it's amazing. You got several accounts. You guys are really blowing, uh, really blowing and going. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, God's really blessed us. And I'm thinking, well, where's my check? God, see, I believe, Joe, I, I believe in spiritual prosperity gospel. I believe every single time we step out in an act of faith, he will give us spiritual blessing. 
if I want closeness, if I want the teacher's heart, if I want to be uh, close to the Lord, he promises, you draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. No exceptions to that rule. Sometimes money's a blessing and sometimes it's not. Sometimes money's a curse. And so be careful of the cliches that we use when we say, yeah, God has really given you a lot of money and it could be a blessing. God hasn't given me a lot of money. In fact, some of the most spiritual people I know are very poor. Has God not blessed them? Come on. We're talking about a spiritual reality that's better than anything the physical universe can provide, right? Giving from the heart. God says, I want a cheerful giver. This is one time that uh, Karma and I had fun giving. And it's not that big a deal, so I'll share how great we were. Is that okay? <laughs> so we had this visiting preacher in Cozad when I was growing up, and uh, his name was Glenn Blanchard. And he was preaching. It's a nice thing when visiting preachers preach on money so that the local pastor doesn't have to, and then he can leave. So he was preaching a, a, a message on how much we should give to the church and uh, just talking about uh, all the stories of when the poor preacher just could barely have enough gas money to get back home. And uh, we knew that he was going to have part two in that same passage. And so I didn't come up with this idea, but karma whispered in my ear. We were first married. We didn't have, we had, we're about there now. But it was, it was tight times. And uh, karma says, let's slip some money into his Bible. And I'm like, how much? Well, I was thinking $100. And so uh, we went and got $100 uh, from home. We got back to the church. And before we had the service, the next sermon, we were doing a series of services at kind of a seminar. And uh, I went over, found the place that he was going to be preaching, and I slipped the $100 bill into the Bible and closed it. And then we started singing, and I started watching him. He didn't open up to the passage. <laughs> and the singing got done, and he walked up into the pulpit with his, with his Bible. I'm like, oh, man, what's about ready to happen? And he says, there, and uh, he, was from Georgia, he was from Florida, had the southern accent, says, I'd like everybody to turn to such and such passage. And he turns it open, and he goes... <laughs> And then he just started crying. And he just said, you guys are so sweet. I don't deserve anything from you guys. That's really nice. There is joy in God's economy of giving. It's not just about saying, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make it. You can have fun with giving to the Lord. God wants a cheerful giver. That widow didn't choose to be alone, or she didn't choose to be alone. It happened to her. That widow didn't choose to be weak. That's how she, that's what she was born into. She didn't choose to be invisible, but that was the reality of society at, their, at that time. You know what the gospel tells us? There's one that had all the power and privilege that no widow could ever dream. But that man chose to be invisible. They wanted to take him and make him a political king, and he says, no. No, I've got another mission that has nothing to do with, with your political aspirations. There's another one that though he had all the right and all the power, he chose to be weaker than any widow. And he submitted in weakness before the cross. There is one that came, became so vulnerable that they allowed, he allowed them to strip him naked 
You know when you want to protect yourself, you put up a guard, and he let them nail one hand here, nail them one let, uh, hand here. And that was just before mankind. He stood naked before the guilt of God. And he paid it all. He paid it all. He became more vulnerable than any widow. He became weaker than any single lady. He became more invisible than any outcast of society. And he did it for a reason. He did it for us. The last illustration I'll give this, this morning is um, from the movie Band of Brothers. The true account of um, the life of, of these paratroopers in World War II that went over and fought the Nazis in Germany. They were led by Colonel Richard, or Major Richard Winters, a man that grew up in western Pennsylvania on a farm. His mom was a um, Mennonite. And he had an amazing inboard gift to lead men in battle. And at the battle called the Battle of the Crossroads, uh, Major Winters uh, saw a dike on a canal that they had where they were fighting. And he knew just on the other side of that bank, it was about 200 yards away, there were untold number of Nazi soldiers ready to kill him and his men. And he took a, a timed smoke grenade that, uh, that he could pull the, the, the pin on and it waited about 10 seconds until it started sh showering out um, red smoke. And he told all his men, don't run until you see the red smoke. In an interview later in life, he says, I've never run so fast before. I've never ran so fast since. I really don't remember what I was doing. Something came over me. It was crazy. He pulled the pin, threw the grenade, and started running all alone across those 200 yards. He almost got to the embankment, and then the red smoke started to come, and he went up the embankment, and he stood, and he said the first thing he saw was an SS troop six feet in front of him. It's kind of gross what happened, but the guy was so shocked that he was there, the Nazi soldier just looked at him and smiled. And then Richard Winters says, and then I shot him. And he stood all alone on that canal dike as he looked over scores, if not hundreds, of Nazi sol soldiers and started unloading his weapon clip after clip. And he would move over clip after clip. And he was all alone there for over 10 seconds because he said, my guys were running really slow that day. <laughs> and he stood there alone, risking his life, defending from the enemy until the reinforcements came. And it was one of the greatest battles in World War II history. Well, that's a small comparison of what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? You know, if someone were to come and say, thank you, Major Richard Winters, for uh, the sacrifice that you gave, you put your life on the line for me, and someone says, would you uh, donate some money uh, to help support the troops so they have plenty to eat and wear while they're on the battlefield? Not only can you give generically, but you can enter into the battle and support the cause. And when we give to the church, we're entering into the battle to support the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave us his heart so that now we can give from our hearts. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. 
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 